this week on Moms Moving On. If it was easy to leave a bad marriage, we would all do it. Everyone would do it. It's not. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I'm so happy you're here, and I'm so happy to have today's guest with us. Her name is Britt Frank, and she's a clinician, educator, and trauma specialist. She speaks and writes widely about the mental health myths that keep us stuck and stressed. Britt received her BA from Duke University and her master's from the University of Kansas, where she later became an award-winning adjunct professor. She's going to be teaching us something today, and I'm so glad you're here to be a part of it. Britt, thank you so much for being with us. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh my God, it's a pleasure. I know we were connected by our good friend, Nate White. For anybody who follows him, they already know that this conversation is going to be deep and profound. We love Nate. Thank you, Nate. Yes. Yes. Can you give us like a little bit of information about yourself? Maybe like the not so um, (laughs) high level bio, just like tell us who Britt is. I love that. Here's my credentials, which is all true, but But give us the truth now. (laughs) Yeah. But underneath all that shininess is, you know, drug addiction and not like the good socially acceptable drugs. I say that tongue in cheek. There are no good addictions, but like the super, I don't want to share this with anyone ever like meth, like yuck and love and sex addiction and relational dysfunction and sexual trauma in childhood and adulthood, just a raging hot mess of a human. And I did not all you. This is all me. A wow. cheater. Check. I wanted to check all the dysfunction. You boxes. did it all. Yeah. Good for you, girl. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't actually come to this work as a, I want to help people, even though that's great. I came to this work because it was heal or die, which sounds dramatic. And it's not that dramatic for everyone. It doesn't have to be. But for me, it was, if I don't figure this out, I am not going to survive my story. And so I found my way to trauma therapy as a client. And then I got better. And then I pivoted out of the hot, train wreck of a life and became a therapist and went back to grad school and got my shit together. And now here we are. Wow. First of all, I just kudos to you for healing in the way that you have, and then deciding to help others through. I think that is the greatest gift we give to others is showing them the way after we've found the light. So that's amazing. Now now I know why Nate connected us. Okay. So (laughs) all of your work has led you to writing your book, The Science of Stuck which I think is such a great name. And I think so many of us don't realize why we get stuck. We're just trying to get ourselves unstuck, right? It's so true. And you know what I hear every day are people who are stuck. And the number one explanation is they're lazy, they're crazy, or they're unmotivated, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you don't have like a an addiction or a mental health diagnosis, I'm such a procrastinator. Oh my God, I'm sitting on the couch, doom scrolling till 3 a.m. What's wrong with me? I'm so unmotivated. And it's like, there's a reason that you are stuck and it is not a personal flaw or a moral failing. And when we understand that these brains of ours do things and why and how, then we can get moving. I'm really big on de-shaming the whole process because, you know, there's no such thing as a crazy person. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist. I love that. So, I mean, this is this is a great topic that we're having here because as you know, we talk about divorce and moving on and co-parenting and all of that. But 
for so many women, it comes down to like finding the courage to leave their marriage and feeling stuck for so many reasons, whether it be personal or, you know, external societal blame that we're scared of getting. Can we talk about this notion of being stuck? Like what does being stuck actually mean? So if we're talking in the context of a marriage that, you know, is less than optimal, whether that's violence, overtly, emotional abuse, anything that is not nurturing and healthy, it is damn near impossible to just walk out of one of those relationships. And having Mm -hmm. done it and having walked with women through it, it is, there's a reason that the whole like, why'd you stay? It's like, you do it. I used to be so high and mighty. You know, if someone ever hit me, I would never stick around for that. If someone ever cheated on me, I'd never stick around for that. Well, yes, we do. And it is strong, powerful, capable, intelligent women who get trapped in these things. And so for women, I did a a talk for a group of C-suite level women, and it was a talk about like social engagement and it sort of downshifted into a talk about abusive relationships and why we get stuck. We get stuck, number one, because of cultural stigma. Number two, because to dismantle a life is terrifying. It's complicated. And there's almost no support for us when we try to do it. And number three, we're not taught that there are these physiological processes that make it very, very hard like neurologically to leave, just like it's hard to quit heroin or cocaine. Our brain does something in these relationships that are punctuated with moments of goodness and moments of abuse and moments of he's being nice today and he's not drinking today or she or they. And it's tough to leave a situation if you don't know what your brain is doing. And I have so much compassion. Why do we get stuck? Because we're given bad information and there's a neurological withdrawal that we're not taught about. And that's why we get stuck in these relationships and why we stay long past their expiration date. I read something or heard something a couple of months ago that has stuck with me, um, that sometimes it takes women up to four years to actually make the move of leaving an unhealthy marriage from the moment they decide they're unhappy. And that's real. I mean, I don't think there's any woman that I know that just woke up one day and decided, you know what, this isn't for me, I'm out. It takes so long to unstick yourself. It does. And the four years, I think, is generous. And in all of the research on domestic violence and intimate partner abuse, whatever you want to call it, it takes an average of seven times, seven, even after those four years happen, once you make the decision, it takes an average of seven times before that decision to leave sticks. And that's an average, which means for many people, it's 10 times or 12 times or 20 times. And so, you know, if that's you and you're listening to this, you are not alone and you're not crazy. It is inc- if it was if it was easy to leave a bad marriage, we would all do it. Everyone would do it. It's not. Oh my god, you're so right about that. <laughs> I'm writing that one down. <laughs> um so what is what is the process? I imagine you work with people all the time and getting them to identify what's keeping them stuck and then helping them get unstuck. What is that process like? So, you know, we can go into and talking about what it's going to change financially and what's going to change as far as custody and with the children. And I don't have children, so that's not a thing I had to walk through personally. But any dismantling of a relationship involves your ecosystem. And we all know that. But the thing that's not often talked about is that walking away from a relationship, even a crazy making toxic mess, 
is going to cost us something. And we all talk about this relationship is costing me my sanity and my health and everything, but there are benefits to, and I'm not victim blaming. I've been in these relationships myself with a variety of people. And it's not about victim blaming. It's just about saying, you know, I stayed in relationships long past the expiration date because I was scared. I didn't want to be single in my community. I didn't want to have to start over. I didn't want to be financially, you know, what am I going to do? And we have to de-shame and normalize that we need to count the benefits that we're getting in the relationship so that we can tend to those injuries on the other side. It's, and it's, no shame. It's that starting over piece for people. Like I, I have a friend who right now is not even married, but in a relationship that probably, you know, should end. And it's that whole like, but I just don't want to start over. I mean, that it, it sounds exhausting. Not just exhausting, but if we're talking trauma and how trauma impacts the brain, that type of dismantling and starting over is going to create a feeling of death. Like it's going to feel like you're dying when you walk away from this. And again, we're not taught that. It's like, oh, stop being so dramatic. And it's not neurologically to your brain, to your amygdala, to the survival part of your brain walking away feels like akin to dying. And if you think of like evolution, if we were cast out of our group, we were going to be eaten by lions. So there mm -hmm. is some deep rooted primal fear of abandonment and rejection. And yes, even death, even though logically we know we're not going to die, our brain thinks we are. And our brain will win in the fight between logic and survival brain every single time without question. And then on top of that, so I know you focus a lot on trauma. There are so many people who, surprise, surprise, have experienced trauma in their childhoods and then end up in unhealthy marriages. How much does that trauma brain play into our ability to leave unhealthy situations? I was reading something about trauma last night and um, PTSD and low cortisol. And can you speak a little bit to that? Because I just find that also fascinating. Well, the biggest dilemma with trauma is our unwillingness to admit that we have it. And so I did this multiple times and I've walked countless people through it. I didn't have trauma. I had a great childhood. And then I just ended up in this marriage or in this relationship. It's like, well, yeah, you may not have had overtly violent parents, yes. but like there's this myth of childhood is either good or it's or bad. bad. And there, it's that's so reductive and it's so limiting. So like, like, have you ever seen a child grow up? It is traumatic just inherently to develop and to go through puberty and to have to go to middle school. And so nobody gets into an abusive environment who has zero trauma. You may not mm -hmm. have all the trauma, but you have some of it. And we can't even begin to heal in a relationship or walk from a relationship if we're not willing to honor, even though it wasn't quote that bad, whatever that means, mm -hmm. we all have to a degree trauma, even if you think you had a great childhood. And that's a hard one because to really admit hard. it's so hard. It's like, oh my God, am I gonna have to hate my parents and be in therapy for 20, like not necessarily, but no, yes, I you have trauma. I think though, once you acknowledge it, yes, there there is this feeling of, because for myself, it was like, well, what the hell, mom? You know, but my dad was the the causer of trauma, but it was, you know, then it was like on my mom to fix all of that. And she didn't know what she didn't know. And I think part of it was like accepting that our parents did the best they could with what they had, right? So that's like also part of the process. And, you know, it's, it's also understanding that our own children are going to grow up one day and be like, well, what the hell, mom? You know, and, and that's, that's just life. 
I tell Pam, because again, I'm not a parent, but I started my career as a play therapist because I really wanted to understand like, how do kids human? Like, what's the deal? And the goal with raising children is not to not traumatize them. All kids are going to get traumatized. It's like, can you honor their wounds when they happen? And if you make a mistake as a parent, which you will, because you're a human, can you tend to the injuries and not wait 20 years before you're sitting in a therapist's office and rehab doing an intervention? So like the goal is don't, the goal is not to avoid trauma. It's to minimize the impact and the severity when it happens. And that's really good news for parents. Like, don't worry. What, you know? Yeah. I feel like I would probably have been your ideal client. I denied the fact that I had trauma and all of these things from my childhood for as long as I could until I ended up in my first marriage where they all sort of came, all the trauma and all the issues that I suppressed for years came to the surface in like a big, bad, ugly way. And obviously contributed to the end of said marriage. For a lot of us, we don't realize the impact or the role our trauma has played until we're in a situation like divorce. So how do you help, how do you even start to help somebody through that? So especially for people who genuinely don't know what their childhood trauma is. And I get that. People I sit with are like, I have no idea. Like I thought I had a good childhood, but clearly not. So let's start with your relationship is telling the story of the dynamics. So if you are married to a violent, abusive alcoholic, that doesn't mean that your father was a violent, abusive alcoholic. But sometimes we pick partners that magnify to like the 20,000th degree, what we experienced in childhood so we can understand what the hell happened. So you can piece your story together from the dynamic. Again, it's not the same, but the dynamics actually are pretty damn similar. It's utterly wild. It is, it is, it is. Once you start to connect the dots, you're like, oh, like I remember one client in particular who, when she was telling me about the dynamic with her partner, I was like, tell me a little bit about your childhood. And she's like, no, typical, normal childhood. I'm like, yeah. And then little by little, she started telling me things. I'm like, and then she'd be like, oh, whoa, oh my God. Like she didn't even realize I'm not even a therapist, you know? And it's just making those connections are really part of the healing and unsticking yourself process. It's ugly. And I can give you a personal, like here's practically what that looked like. It's so just blech, but- I would love to hear it. I had a habit of, as a love addict, I would pair myself with sex addicts. And so if you had asked me, I would have said, well, no, no one in my family was a sex addict, but like as a family, we watched porn together. That was a norm in my family growing up from a very young age. I'm like, what do you mean all families don't do that? And it's like, I married someone who would have been on the scale of sex addiction considered very, very, you know, I was with someone who was extremely, you know, with a lot of people. over and over and over. I kept doing that because I didn't want to face the reality that that was a dynamic in my family of origin. And again, it's not exact, but it's similar. Wow. I can't believe you experienced that. Oh, it was good times. And I experienced it multiple times. I would say it was the third, the third go where I finally was like, okay, this is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. How did that impact your, uh, your thoughts around sex, you know, in your formative years? what sex that's a you know like love and intimacy and marriage and relationships sex was just a tool to get needs met it was just something you threw around kind of half-hearted and as a love addict i would flip-flop between being a love addict and being a sex addict so i would either be in love with someone who was emotionally unavailable and addicted to sex or i would be a sex addict and i would be drawn to people who i didn't like because they were normal and so we tend to flip-flop with that 
To all my moms moving on, I have something amazing for you. If you're ready to move on from your engagement ring, the experts at Worthy can help you turn it into cash, fast and risk-free. Worthy does all the work and their competitive auctions get you the best deal possible. Over 45,000 people have already moved on with Worthy. Are you ready to move on too? Visit worthy.com slash moms to get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash moms for a special bonus offer just for the Moms Moving On community. It's here. Oh my God, I can't believe it. My book is officially out in the world. Have you ordered it yet? It's called Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who's been through it and comes out the other side, me. Through inspirational stories, rituals, journal prompts, And my guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mom, shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self, and create the life you truly deserve. So order it now. What are you waiting for? What was your point where you were like, okay, this this all has to change. I need to change. So it was really, you know, once I got into hard drugs where I started to realize like this is very quickly decompensating and death is really what's next, either death by homicide or death by suicide. Those were really the last two stops on the road and I was not willing to do either. So wow. I was like, fine, I'll deal with my shit. Let's go. Let's. Well, do. you're so lucky to have had that level of self-awareness, you know, like a lot of people don't get to that place. They just let themselves fizzle out. And some people don't have access. You know, I was privileged that when I was at my end, I had the ability to go get help. So I checked into a place called the Meadows of Wickenburg in Arizona. And fortunately, I knew about it. I was able to afford it and have access to it. Not everybody does, which is a crime that it's not accessible. This information is not for everyone. And that's not okay. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to the woman who is stuck for whatever reason, whether it's childhood trauma, cultural beliefs, a lot of the women I come across are culturally stuck in their marriages and like cannot disappoint their parents. What is the first step in unsticking yourself and sort of putting those blinders on and doing what you need to do for you? So the first step is an exercise I call the uncomfortable truth inventory. Sit down with a pen and paper, not on your computer, like actually physically write this down. What are 25 truths about yourself, about this relationship, about your life that you know deep down, but that you really wish you didn't know? Like, what's the stuff that you do actually know, but you've sort of, I don't want to know that. I don't want that to be true. Write down those 25 things. That's step one. Then step two is ask yourself, what are my resources? legitimately, who are the people? What are the places? What are the things available to me to help me? Of all of those, I might not be willing to leave today, but am I willing to say yes to a therapist? Am I willing to say yes to spending the night on a friend's couch? Am I willing to say yes to going to an AA meeting or an Al-Anon meeting? And so this is a lot of cognitive work. The hard trauma repair work comes later. So initially, what is true? Now that I know what's true, what are my choices of all of these choices? Don't beat yourself up if you're not ready to leave. Just pivot to something else. What am I going to say yes to today, no matter how small? Mm -hmm. And then 
part of the reason why so many people stay stuck, especially when it comes to leaving a marriage, is this notion of fear of what if or what might happen. Um, How do you work through that? So the the truth is, is that sometimes leaving is not an option, like legitimately for some people, if they leave, they, if they're medically dependent, if they're financially dependent, if they're worried that their spouse is going to take everything they own, including the children, that's a really hard decision. And it's a really personal decision. And it's, I think something every person needs to ask themselves is, is leaving an option and it might not be. And that is mm-hmm. not your fault if it's not. Then we mm-hmm. have to f- harm reduction. And then we have to shore you up in other areas. But for some people, legitimately, it's not an option. And we need to validate, you know, I think sometimes in this toxic positivity, rah, rah, you go girl, you know, we're quick to invalidate. Sometimes if you are medically dependent on your spouse and if you leave, you will die, death might not be worth it to leave. And so if you can't leave, you can't. And then if you can, then it's like, all right, let's figure out a plan. Let's figure Mm -hmm. out a game plan. Cause you're not going to just make a decision and go, it's going to be slugging through options and creating a very large plan for once you're ready to hit go, we want everything to happen at the same time if possible. Wow. Yeah. This is, this is amazing. I could tell that the work that you do comes from a place of such passion and, you know, like me, like I never want another woman to have to experience uh, divorce in the way that I experienced it, which was completely uneducated and not knowing what my options were. And so I see that you approach your work in the same way. So what do you think is your favorite part of your process with clients? Well, my favorite part might not be their favorite part. Like my favorite part is when the light clicks on and it's sort of, and it's not my, I don't like seeing people that I care about suffer, but once that light of insight clicks on, you can't unsee it. And from the point where the light clicks on and denial is thrown out the window and we've passed the point of denial, repression, minimization, then it's game on. And I know that once we hit that point, we're going to be able to actually make changes and we're going to actually be able to mobilize. So it's not a pleasant, but it is my favorite part because, you know, that's the moment where things change. And then my actual favorite part is when they get out and they're happy and they call me five years later going, woo, life is awesome. So yeah, that's the part that I call in my book, the uncomfortable discomfort. You know, it's like you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable for a little bit in order to get to that other side. And I think that's what so many people want to avoid. But once you see them taking that step into the uncomfortable part, you know that like that's where the magic is going to happen. That's definitely a favorite for me as well. It's, it's dark, but it's, it's really powerful. And again, having, and I know you have too, descended into the abyss of my own psyche and my own life. That's where all the good stuff is. That's where we have to go to get through. I've had to face so much Brit and like, people are always like, oh my God, you're so lucky you remarried and you found such a great person in your life. I'm like, do you know how ugly I had to get with myself personally, even before my first marriage ended to acknowledge that like, there's something wrong here and I have to fix it ASAP, if not sooner. Like it's, it's ugly work, but it's amazing work. I don't know if this was true for you, but for me, I would date such dysfunctional, unavailable people that I was able to say, I don't have a problem. They have a problem. And I did that. I did that until I met my first husband and my first husband was not a dysfunctional mess, but he was also just not the person for me. So, but because like he wasn't the dysfunctional mess that everybody else was, I'm like, okay, he's perfect, you know? And then I realized like, 
I wasn't, and I certainly was not in the right headspace for this relationship. And we were completely different. And then all that triggered all of my abandonment issues and my PTSD and like my poor ex-husband had to like bear the brunt of all, you know, but like I, I, all for a reason, we have a beautiful daughter, but yes, I spent my, the entirety of like my adult relationships, dating relationships were with people that I could say it's them, not me. And I felt better about myself because of it. Me too. And again, it's not to victim blame. It's not like I deserved what I got because I was avoiding responsibility. But the fact of the matter is it's really easy to avoid dealing with my stuff if I can focus on my partner. And so that's, that is a reckoning when it's like, oh my God, like, yes, they're a mess. And me, I picked them. What the hell? I'm going to try and fix you to avoid my own bullshit. God damn it. I did a lot of that, but I learned so much. And now look at us. Look at us go. (laughs) Now we both have books, but I want to talk about your book. So tell me about The Science of Stuck. So I wrote The Science of Stuck because it's the book I needed when I was in my early 20s, early 30s going through. I didn't need a deep dive. I didn't want to understand the academic theory. I didn't want a whiteboard of biology. I wanted someone to say, look, here's every book that there is, not all of them, but like here's all the main stuff summed up in one place. So like here's just what you need to know about boundaries. Here's just what you need to know about anxiety. Here's just what you need to know about trauma so I could get moving. You know, I love a deep dive. Like I'm a big diver. However, this book is not that. This book is here's just enough info to get you moving. Because once stuck turns into motion, like the deep dive will come later. Let's just yeah. get things up and running. So yes, that's what just, the book is. Let's get you out of this place and worry about everything later. I love that. Yeah. And I know that this is going to be a very useful tool for so many listening to this. I've, I've loved this conversation and I adore the work that you do. If you can sh- share where people can find you, if they want to work with you, get to know more about you, read the book. Thank you. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Britt Frank. Britt has two T's and you can find more about the book at scienceofstuck.com. Love it. And for everybody listening, you know, I will link all of this and I'm so excited for you to dive more into the science of stuck and we'll see you next time on Moms Moving On. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Imagine a place to get all of the resources you need and deserve while going through the divorce process, from legal and mediation tips to expert co-parenting advice and heartbreak healing words of wisdom. Imagine a place that offered weekly words of wisdom and inspiration curated just for you by me to help motivate you and make you feel seen throughout the toughest days of your divorce journey. Imagine if that place also provided you with the opportunity to connect with other moms who are going through the exact same thing as you. That place exists and it's called the Moms Moving On membership community. With two membership options, you are guaranteed to find your village and thrive in this next phase of your life. Visit my website, momsmovingon.com and click on become a member to join our community now. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.